Welcome to The Director's Take, a podcast where we explore how you go from directing something with your mates to being the most senior decision maker on a film set. I'm Oz Arshad. And I'm Marcus Thomas. And we are both writer-directors at the beginning of our TV and feature film directing journeys. The pathway doesn't exist, so we are going to do our best to help bridge the gap. Hello everyone, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, thanks for listening. Marcus here. Oz will do one of these eventually, once you start showing the episode a bit more and show a bit more respect. I quite like these little chats anyway. It means we get to kind of talk to you about where we are and what's going on and how we feel about certain things. So at the minute, I think the MO for both of me and Oz is making money, so that's where we're at. He's doing his university lecturing and things um, and finishing up the commercials and, and little bits and bobs that he's doing. For me, I'm just doing little bits of tutoring. I'm interviewing for a couple of little jobs here and there, which is still somewhat industry related. Otherwise, it's straight hustling. It's straight hustling. Oh, yeah, I did a, a talk for BAFTA Guru the other day. That was really fun. Shout out to Cara, who, who runs the operation or is involved in like curating the BAFTA Guru events. They are a fan of the podcast and reached out to us a while ago about hosting a Q&A with a costume designer. So that was really, really cool. If you need anyone to host your event or Q&A, we are both available for doing that sort of thing. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, this is what we talk about when we say from the outside, it seems like everyone's winning. But actually, when you're in it, it feels really, really slow. We're at the point now where, I mean, I've done my thing, Oz is doing his thing, and we're just waiting for the films to circulate and we're waiting for projects to drop and we're waiting for things to move and this is where it feels slow um, and this is where you need to kind of get outside yourself have other things going on and uh, like keep pulling back so you can give yourself perspective on where you are and what you've done because it's all going to happen it just takes time so that's what's going on that's our little update we'll keep updating you as more and more happens as I'm sure it will but until then we've got an amazing episode with Thomas and Adepeju right now who is an awesome filmmaker, you should check him out. You'll recognise him because he's the, the fancy brother that always wears a suit. He's got his own brand. He's very, very cool, very swanky, very smooth. And his films are, are brilliant. He's a bit of a craftsman. So, yeah, do check out his work, which is available online. So, without further ado, I guess, enjoy the episode. Welcome back. So, we have someone really, really special in today. We have Thomasin Adipeju, and he is a Nigerian-British filmmaker based in London. He's been making films for over a decade. He's a graduate of the MA Directing course at Met Film School, Ealing Studios, and Thomasin's multi-award-winning shorts, The Good Son and Marianne, have been selected at over 100 international film festivals. His work has also screened at several prestigious institutions. These include Cinematheque Swiss, the Charles H. Wright Museum of African-American History, the Museum of Fine Arts Boston, Film Society of Lincoln Centre, the British Film Institute and BAFTA. His short film The Right Choice had its world premiere in 2018 Sundance Film Festival and was also selected to screen as part of Sundance London. He is an alumni of both Edinburgh Talent Lab and the LFF Development Programme in 2019. His film Appreciation was selected to screen at BFI London Film Festival 2019 and was also nominated for British Irish Short of the Year by the London Critics Circle. He has just completed a new short, Journey Mercies, and is developing his debut feature. Thomasin recently founded Dailies, a monthly film night where film lovers can seek out bold and unique films that they may not see at their local cinema. Each event is curated around specific themes and subjects and filmmakers of the featured films are invited for a Q&A. 
And today, I'm really, really pleased that you're going to be in the hot seat and we are going to be interviewing you rather than it being the other way around. So welcome to the podcast, Thomasin Adepeju. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. I just want to say that I'm just humbled to be here because, I mean, I'm I'm a fan of this incredible thing you know, that you guys are doing. I, I think I've listened to almost every episode and um, yeah, so I'm, yeah. Very honoured, uh, yeah, to actually be. That's that. That's some serious sort of like status that we're at. If you are listening to us, <laughs> no, honestly, I yeah, big fan of it. We're big fans of you as well. So, yeah, yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paris. Thank you. So we want to just like kick things off, man, because there's 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 so much to get through. And let's let's take it right back. And how and why did you get into being a filmmaker? Why did you want to be a filmmaker? I've been asked that um, all the time, and I've always think that for me it goes back just to being 12 years old, um, because I wasn't born in this country. Um, and when you move from a different country, there's this sense of isolation that, that you feel ultimately. Because uh, I was born in Nigeria and literally left there when I was 12, came here. And I recall just feeling the cold at the airport and just thinking, you know, why are we here? This is not, it's not what was promised. But yeah, I just felt really sort of like isolated ultimately. and um, And... I recall just being in my living room watching this film. Uh, I was about 13 years old. Um, it's a film that's called, I don't know if you guys have heard of Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers, uh, yeah. Yeah, incredible Classic. Film. Yeah, it's it's masterwork. Um, so I, I I literally saw that film and I just recall being transported from my living room to this world um, of the story. And it was really incredible because I don't even love sci-fi films in that way, but that film just had something in it it was really powerful and um and for me for like one hour 45 minutes i think it was i was i left my living room and i was in this instant reality that was incredibly quarantine and terrifying and um but also like high stakes you know there was a love story in there great action scenes fight scenes and i thought this this is incredible i i want to try and do this but then i thought okay that was maybe acting because i didn't know that there was actually somebody who cracked this world I thought the actors actually just did everything. You know, I didn't realize that there was a writer that would actually write all the work, a director that would actually craft it as well. And um, and it was just incredible because I saw that and I was like, okay, yeah, I want to do that. And I, I did some acting and then I realized that, I I mean, I'm not a bad actor, but I, I wasn't really the best actor. Um, but I, I find that as a, as a writer, director, you have the power to create your own world. Because as an actor, you're, you're kind of in service of, other people and I thought you know what I actually want to create the world and yeah and that and I knew that when I was 14 years old and um I had to tell of course my African parents and it didn't really go down well um yeah so you know I mean they had only two for me was either law or medicine and um and you know film wasn't really kind of part of that design for them um Mm. yeah but then I actually worked at it I'm the first artist in the history of my family so going back to literally the 19th century, we're literally either lawyers, teachers, doctors, mostly. Um, so yeah, so I don't think my my dad and mom knew what like a, an artist was in that sense. I think if I said an actor, they were like, okay, yeah, actor in film. Yes, yes now. Okay, go on. But like filmmaker, yeah, they just, yeah, had no idea. Do, do they understand now? Now, now yeah. Um, but I think it was a long journey, to be honest, because um, told them when I was about 14, 15 years old, um, and then I, I, I went to university, did film there as well, which is really, um, really wonderful. I went to Wawa Holloway University, 
a really, really good university. Um, and then afterwards, after I left there, I, I did, um, I sort of made films for a while, but I was, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to make films, but as you, as you guys know, there's not clear pathway, right? So I was kind of, I mean, I left uni, I was like, yes, you know, I've made, I made some shorts there that were um, terrible. Um, I thought they were good, of course, back then. Um, but then I, I literally went back home and my mom was like, you're 23, what, what are you doing your life? You know, um, but I was just kind of watching films. I would literally, I, did, I wasn't working. I wake up, watch films, have lunch, watch films, go out maybe once in a while, watch films. So I was just kind of watching all these films. And because university, my course was actually film theory, which, which I chose because I really wanted to understand the language of cinema because I just, I didn't see anything apart from American films. So I thought I wanted to really immerse myself in world cinema. So at um, university, I saw films from, you know, Italy, French New Wave, from literally just all around the world. And it just changed my whole worldview. Um, so I, I had all this sort of passion. I wanted to make it, but of course, I didn't have friends that could make it with me. And those that were making it with me, I had to force them a lot. So I would literally call them up. Hey, bro, it's free tomorrow. I was like, oh, no, no, no. I've got this. I've got plans. And, and that's ultimately what led me to to actually go to med film school, which is where I did my master's in 2014, because it was really there that I met like-minded people that I then made films with. Yeah. And then my my parents saw my grad film. I think it's when they saw that film that they were like, all right, he's not, it's not bad. You know, he has some talent. They were still not like, you have our blessing. Um, I don't really think, yeah. I don't think I have their blessing, to be honest. I think it's still like a work in progress as well. Um, but when you have your first big premiere and they turn up and it's a big event, they'll understand. Yeah. It'll be yeah. one of those ones. Yeah. 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 Hopefully. Hopefully. You know. Okay. You've spoken about obviously your journey into sort of like being consciously aware that, you know, films can create this world. I mean, to be honest, Starship Troopers probably even for me was one of the worlds that, not that I was mad into like wanting to direct then I wasn't at all. It wasn't even conscious of it. But Starship um, Troopers specifically, there's something that happens in that film that draws you into a world that you yeah. actually believe it's real. Yeah. Like it, it actually exists. It was phenomenal. Well, they're all practical as well, aren't they? The bugs, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Practically done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, puppets and animatronics, which is cool. Yeah. I think it's incredible because you can actually see it. You can tell that everything just felt very visceral. You know, it mm. wasn't sort of artificial. It's, it's quite interesting because it's a very artificial world, but it draws you into a very grounded reality, which is very odd, I thought. But I just felt it was yeah, really, really powerful. This is a question that obviously you've listened to all the episodes, so you'll probably hear us asking this question. But what do you believe is the job of the director? And branching off that, which directors do you love that influenced you and why? The job of a film director, I think it's quite simple. Um, I think our job is to crack walls on screen. There's a lot of complex elements that comes with that. Because obviously, you know, our, our work is very visual. So you're crafting a world and that world has to be filtered through the lens of different artists. Of course, your, your writer, um, actors, DOP, uh, editor. Um, so I think it's just knowing which world you want to craft and knowing how you want to craft the world. That's the key, I feel. Um, and my own journey, I feel that I've been trying to learn how to craft worlds on screen because growing up, I had all these ideas in my head, right? I was seeing all these films. I wasn't making films, but I just knew that I wanted to craft worlds because I love film because it took me from my world. So I was heavily bullied in school, right? Because of my accent, I had a strong 
Nigerian accent. Uh, so everyone would pick on me. I didn't have a lot of friends. Unfortunately, was very shy as well. I literally didn't talk to anybody. I was just really, really isolated. Um, and it was film that was like this comfort for me where I would look forward to going home because I knew that I would escape this. In my head, that was a very brutal reality because I was literally picked on every day and I would hide my mm. money in my socks and stuff, which is really, I look back now and it's, it's quite funny, I would say, but like then you're just like, you're trying to survive. Um, yeah, if that's your whole reality, it's pretty, pretty rough, yeah. It's very sad to hear that. Why the fuck would anyone want to say anything to you? You know what I mean? It, right? And for me, I wasn't even disturbing anybody. That's the thing is, I was actually really quiet, but then looking back, though, I didn't help myself because I was wearing, I was really smartly dressed. I, I would iron my tie. I would iron my shirt. You know, you know, those, mm. you know, those, um, back in school, everyone would wear these short ties. I didn't understand that. You know, this fat short ties, mine would be long, right? Uh, which wasn't probably smart because what would happen is people would just drag it down all the time. Um, yeah. but yeah, but film was just a way for me to escape all of that, right? I would come home and really immerse myself in, you know, just these incredible films. And I realized that I loved it because of the walls that it crafted. You know, this is what I've been working towards all these years. And I think that's our job is to craft walls that the audience can completely and fully immerse themselves in. And you said that you went to film school. So I'm intrigued to know why you chose to do that, why you felt that was a need. Like, why was that the pathway? I think we've written down here that you actually saved a bunch of cash over three years to fund yourself to go to NYU Tisch. Yeah. Which is famously the school where like, people like sure Spike you, Lee went. I'm not quite sure you guys um, know that information, but I, that, I don't know. Uh, we've got our sources and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't, yeah, but, okay. <laughs> it's, it's out there. And, uh, and then you realise that you when you saw the fees, how extortionate it was that you were nowhere near being at that level. So um, yeah, I, I'm just intrigued to know how you came to find your way at film school. I think what's interesting is I, I knew that I always wanted to actually go to film school. Um, it was always the plan because yeah, Spike Lee, he, he's just absolutely incredible. And I mean, I mm. saw um, she got a habit when I was 23 years old. And I don't know if you guys have that experience where you know where you were when you see a film that changes your life. when where, you know, you actually called the time of day, you know, and you call what it was like outside. Uh, and I remember seeing that film that was literally around so 11 p.m. in the evening. Um, I'd always heard about him, but I thought, you know what, I want to watch his first film. I don't want to watch his master work, you know, the films that he made in his, when he, when he understood the craft, I wanted to really kind of watch his first. So I saw his short film that he made at NYU, which is absolutely incredible. Um, not quite sure how I found it. I did the little... I was going to say, like, that must have been, like, some serious sort of, like, detective work to get that. Because it's not like the it internet was, where you oh, can find shit. Yeah. I think I had friends who had links to stuff. So <laughs> I just have to friend Yeah. Which, you know, as a filmmaker, I don't advocate for that, by the way. I think, you know, I don't go to the cinema. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, anyway, I it, it was a short film they made in 1983, 84, I think. And uh, I searched everywhere for it. Couldn't find it. But my friend um, actually had a link to it. Uh, I watched that and see a voice immersed in the film it was really bold and very different but okay great then then i saw the gap it took him to make his first feature right um because back then i was really sort of i really wanted to understand how do you make your first film you know and at that point i was thinking i could make my first feature then um and then i saw the film um and i just thought wow firstly it's black and white that's was also really really just quite bold because could have been in color easily right um 
but black and white and the music as well was just incredible the visual language was incredible uh and then spike lee was also in it and you know it's just seeing these other characters and how bold they were and i just thought this was just yeah um absolutely wonderful it was really just a very bold calling card uh and i thought right okay so he's made his film and he went to nyu clearly um this space nurtures obviously voices so i thought okay i, I want to go to nyu but then i don't know why i thought nyu was sort of reasonably priced i just, I, I don't think i can really <laughs> look at it i don't i don't know in my head 60 grand a year for it, the list 60 bucks yeah, yeah. It, but, but no but this was like this was like 12 13 years ago though you know mm. um so i thought that's maybe 50 then yeah, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> But I, I don't know why I, I just thought, yeah, okay, it's not anything incredibly pricey, but I thought, okay. So I thought, let me get a job um, that can let me save. Because I wasn't working then as well. Um, I was, I was at home for like a year, just watching films, trying to find something to do, trying to make films. Uh, so I thought, let me, let me get a job, but let me get a job that would allow me to still go on making films. Um, so I got a job as an usher at a West End theater. And uh, yeah, and it was the easiest job I could find, right? Where it's evenings, 5.30 p.m. to 10.30 p.m., right? You get to watch plays. And I thought, this is easy. Um, Great. Yeah. yeah. So I literally worked, I did that for about four or five years, just working as an usher. Um, and it was incredible because I, I never really saw plays. I, I only watched films. And that was, interestingly, a new way of actually understanding the craft of working with actors because it was quite nice because you, you get to see actors really evolve their characters on stage over like a course of one year. It's amazing for you to see that, like, because the alternative is you have to pay to see that every single night. Mm -hmm. But for you to kind of see it every night and actually understand how the actors take control of it, that's... It's really brilliant. Because you hear about that, that's what happens, but it's hard to do that unless you're there. So that's great. Yeah. and But I didn't even know at the time that, you know, this was what I was actually learning. I just thought I want to get a job, just work, save for film school. But then it was actually an incredible experience because I, I, you know, you really... You, you really understand how actors sort of like, um, you know, prep, how they really encapsulate the stage as well. Because obviously like acting for film is, is not like obviously doing theater work as well. So it was really different, but I learned so much in that time. Uh, and then I did, okay, I'd saved up some money. I thought, okay, great. I got, I think I had about 14K. This was at that point, I was 24. So over three years. Um, uh, so I thought, great, let me just let me look up these fees so I can see how far up I am, right? Just to get a sense of oh, and I again I remember the day and the time that I went on the site. I was literally I was at a prayer or something. I don't I was basically in a public space. I thought, okay, let me just let, let me just check because all, in my head I was only I was already in New York City. I'd already seen my apartment. <laughs> I'd I'd seen the rats on the floor, I'd seen kind of I was gonna get the part time job. I wanted to leave home because my mom and dad was just like stressing me out about this film thing. So I thought I can escape them, be taught by Spike Lee because he also had a class. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so that was the dream line. So I just go on, I go on my laptop, you know, as you do. You know, I think I had a coffee. Yeah, I had a coffee with me as well. You know, I have a latte. Um, one of the sites, and honestly, if I could scream in a public place, I would have screamed because I just... I just thought this is not ethical because so it was actually 45k uh, then um, and remember I had 15k so I thought wait and that's just for because there's like 
three years because I wanted to do the master's program, the MFA. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I, I can't afford this. There's, there's no way. Um, and it was actually quietly heartbreaking because, I don't know, I'd actually also been watching Spike Lee films because then I could be like, oh, Mr. Lee, I've <laughs> let it kind of sort of interrogate your films and talk about the crap. Because I, I had all these questions for, you know, for him. I was going to meet him and he was going to be my mentor. I, basically, I, in my head, created this reality and um yeah and um yeah it feels like the, a filmmaker's fairy tale ideal that you had it that i'm going to be yeah. there and he's going to be my lecturer that, that's it, it, that is heartbreaking man if you had it set up like that in your head and then fucking yeah. fees come along i'm like come on right it's just it was yeah it was um i thought maybe 25k okay with 25k i can maybe get out a loan from the bank or something like that um you know but i still thought you know what let me let me just go i can go there and work but you know i think it was my dad he just said nah you have to be honest with yourself like can you afford this money um and then i actually saw that you know the reality of living out there is actually incredibly brutal you know rent is very high and so that dream died at that print um i think it was about 4 p.m so my, my dream died on that day and i thought that's it no more film school done i can't i'm just gonna go out and make my feature right because i thought wait i had 14k you know and then you know i was reading about robert rod Rodriguez making his first film, you know, Tarantino making something quite cheap, you know, Reservoir Dogs. I thought I could do this. I'd made a few shorts that I played in smaller festivals. Um, so I was, I was ready, right? But what was quite funny was it was actually my mother, my mom, that this is somebody who did not want me to make a film. She was trying to get me to be a doctor for like, for as long as I remember. She just told me, she came to my room one day, she was like, God just told me to tell you that I think you should go to film school. And she she had no idea, by the way, that I was even trying to go to film school. She thought I was wasting my life. She thought I was just at home vibes, right? Just not doing anything. But she said, God, it's been in my spirit. I've been praying about you. And God was like, you have to go. And I was like, no, mom. Like, NYU was the dream, you know? But I thought, I thought, okay, let me not look at NYU. Let me look at, you know, one in LA. Right? Let me just, let me look at, and then that was even worse, you know? It was even more expensive. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Um, yeah. So America, because I basically ultimately wanted to leave London. You know, when you feel like you want to change. Um, um, but yeah. So, but she, she, for a whole year, my mom kept pestering me. And I'm not even kidding. Like, she doesn't even watch films. She doesn't even, I've tried to get to just to watch films I like. And she would fall asleep or go up and pray. I don't know, something. Um, but for her, she was like, God is just telling me that you have things to say that, you know, that if you go to film school, it will change your life. Right. And honestly, I applied just to shut her up. And it was funny because I, it was the last person I thought would actually make me go to film school. Um, and then I found um, um, London Film Academy, uh, which was actually a really great school that I, I went there for an open day and really, really loved it. Um, then I saw Met Film School. Uh, back then, because I went to Met 2014, a very young program. Um, uh, I, so I would be the second batch of MA directors. And I'm like, right. now, do I really want to be a guinea pig? Do I want to be the test, the tester? Because these guys have never, so their BA program had been around for about five, six years, I think, at that point. But then I thought, but then, but then it was 15K. It was exactly 15K. I had 14K. Right. I thought, okay. And then I told my mom and she was like, don't worry, I'll give you the rest. 
So I had no excuse but to go, right? Uh, so I went to the Met, you know, for an open day. Really, really enjoyed it because I thought, okay, it's in eating studios. It's just one of the oldest, like, working studios in this country. Perfect, right? Um, yeah, and I just literally went there and it was really incredible. Um, you know, the money left my account on the first day and I still remember feeling like this is a gamble because 14K of my savings. I didn't go on holiday. I didn't buy a lot of new suits. I right, I was literally living, I was hustling. And in, in that first day of, of school, the money just gets zapped from your account. And there's no going back. There's no refund. <laughs> so mm. it, was, it had to work out, right? But it's now or never. This is it, right? It's now or never. But what was actually incredible about using my own money was I gave an argent of 80%. I couldn't afford to be lazy because, you know, my class had 18 directors. And unfortunately, not perhaps everybody was kind of as keen as I was. I was just hungry to learn, partly because also it was all my money and, you know, I had to work out. But I was just like eager. Um, but I was like, I was finally in a space where I could actually have a conversation about films with people that understood the language of it, right? And, and also, I... It was perfect for me because um, the net was one year. I knew I didn't need a two, three-year program because at that point, I probably made uh, about seven or eight shorts, right? But in those shorts, I was the, the lead actor, the the, act, the writer, director. I wrote um, the songs for it, music. I did everything, you know, editor, producer, everything. Um, but I could actually even make a film where I didn't have to be in it. I didn't have to do everything. And... But also, I was taught by um, an incredible lecturer called Simon Shaw, who's the course leader at the Met. And Simon, you know, he's a BAFTA-winning director. And everyone, every time he spoke, you just kept quiet and you just listened. Because when he spoke, he spoke with authority, right? This was somebody who had actually done what we wanted to do, made award-winning feature films, right? Won a BAFTA. So when he spoke, I was like, finally, I'm met somebody who I can just sit and just and just learn. Simon, he really showed me the tools that there's actually a process. There's there's a there's a crack that you have to sort of grasp to be able to make films that you want to make. So you were talking about like, you know, you, you made some great films there and you made some better films there and you improved and you were getting notes and you were really immersed in the uh the whole film school um environment and that really helped you to sort of like focus on what it is you wanted to do. But I wanted to quote something from um, one of your articles, an article you wrote on Directors Now, which for me spoke to the heart of what our podcast is about, which is Pathway. So I'm going to quote you here and you say, so I had two brilliant films and a master's degree. I genuinely thought I would get signed by an agent and go on to direct paid work. Well, this wasn't the case. Overall, I ended up spending £6,000 to apply attend the festivals. The reality then dawned upon me after leaving film school was that I had to make even more films before the industry noticed me, even though I had two award-winning shorts that I'd screened at over 100 film festivals. It then took me another three years after leaving film school to get my first break in the industry. So what struck me about that, Thomason, was that A, how persistent you are and resilient you are, but then also how difficult it can sometimes be for the to get noticed by the industry. Yeah. So can you talk to us a little bit about that and elaborate on that a little bit, please? Yeah, um, it was. It's incredible because I find that when I was in school, I was in this. Basically, it's a space where you feel incredibly safe and you're inspired and you're like, I've made my film, my grad film, and you know, I got a first class. I don't even know if that 
help at all, to be honest. I could have gotten like a third. It wouldn't have mattered, to be honest. Um, but I got first. I was like, yeah, I got first. You know, I was like so happy about that because my first few films, I got like terrible grades, man. I got like third and then he filled one. I was like, what, what is going on? So the goal, the goal was to get a first. And, um, uh, and my grad film, uh, which I shot on film as well, which cost me, you know, because again, um, med film school, you don't get any money to make your films. You have to raise everything yourself. And, um, you know, and everyone was making films on, that were a bit cheaper. Mine was like 17K, which doesn't sound like a lot for, for sure, but it's actually quite, um, yeah, um, because it was mostly my own savings as well. But I had made this film that I'd put all, all my heart and soul in, right? The film that you, you have to pitch as well in school and you get feedback and all of that. And um, and then the film that my parents finally saw and said, actually, you know what? I We understand now why you want to make films. You know, so the film that I thought would change my life, right? Mm. It's the goal. It's the whole point of film school is you're in an environment where you get to make a film that is an encapsulation of your voice as an artist. The hope is when you leave said film school, like that space, you know, it's seen by the right people that can then um, say, okay, you've made this film. And at that point, I mean, my film had played in like big festivals. I went to Urban World Film Festival, you know, played on Times Square. I, I, I was broke, but I flew out there and was staying in a crappy hotel or something. You know, uh, I literally came back and was like broke. And yeah, it was it was peak. It was quite difficult to be honest. But Times Square, man, like I was like, this is a dream, you know. Um, but also people were crying in my my show. They were like, just it got such long that I thought, wow. Um, I was twenty five years old, right? It was twenty uh, end of twenty fifteen, um, and I thought, this I'm on track to make my feature in two three years. Okay, maybe might make one more show to get me to make my feature but the short wasn't imperative it was like okay i might make one more short it wasn't like i had to because i left net film school with two very strong shorts mm. a film called the good son um as well which i made uh alongside marianne so these two shorts right and i mean the good son played in over 90 festivals something like that marianne in like 85 festivals and you know most some were quite big festivals i was winning prizes and I was getting meetings with agents. Um, everything was on the up. <laughs> I was like, mom, dad, film school, it's paid off. It's paid off. You know? um, there was a real excitement around what I was going to do. All I needed was, I just, I was like, if I was going to make one more short, it would be a short there with the BFI, BBC Films, Film 4, you know, a proper film. Yeah, yeah. Because my grad film was like, you know, I literally, I, I even used my overdraft to pay for that. <laughs> You know, paying actors, oh crap, you know, you know, you're one day late, you feel so bad and you have to go into your overdraft. So it was just a very traumatic experience making the film because, you know, I had to get a lot of shifts back at a theater as well. A year passed, uh, you know, the film was still getting to festivals, but not as much. Like, okay, next step is, of course, agents. Like, I can't, I can't navigate this on my own. I need people. I need someone on the end, you know. Um, but they, they weren't calling me. That was like, I had, me with one agent at Curtis Brown, lovely guy, you know, said, oh, okay, we love your work. Brilliant, you know, very bold voice. We love that there's Yoruba in your work because, you know, they said, oh, because I'm Nigerian British. And I, I thought, again, it was actually incredible because I found my voice in film school because I wanted to make films in Yoruba. I don't, even, we love the Yoruba. It's different. You know, you could be the next this and that. And 
names were being thrown at me, like, which was very humbling. But then he didn't back up his enthusiasm about me with like, oh, let, you know, let's have one more meeting and then we can talk about signing you. He just wanted to meet me meet for, for vibes. And for me, I got, I went to the meeting thinking I was going to get signed and that didn't work out. Um, nothing basically happened, right? I was like, great. Okay. This is not. So, and then I was back at home and I don't know about you guys, but there are points in your life you feel like you've gone 10 steps forward and then maybe like 25 steps back because I just felt like I was back in my old room. I was 25. My mom was like, hmm, God told me to, for you to go, but he didn't tell you to come back home and start, start watching films again, you know, you know. So I'm like, mom, you're the one that says you should go now. You know, what's, what's going on? Um, but then, but she kept saying like, don't worry, just keep trying. And honestly, I think it was her reaction to everything that motivated me on because she just really loved my show because she had never seen anything in my work. Um, so I thought, quite, okay, I need to make one more film then. So um, this writer reached out to me and said, oh, I've got this like sort of Black Mirror-esque site, my film. Um, that I that I feel that you're right to actually make, and I was like, okay, great. And he was going to pay me like 4K. I was like, wow, okay, crazy. It's like my first, yeah. I was I was like, for, but then turns out that it's the guy's first ever film. He's never done anything. He's a he's he's reading like 20 shorts, right? And and I read most of them, and they were just brilliant. But I said, bro, I'm not a I don't direct Black Mirror sci-fi. I just that's not me. My work is, you know, really nuanced, quiet dramas. That's interrogating faith, identity. You know, I want to make deep films. And this guy was pitching me a film about a couple who want to, they want to create the perfect baby in this sort of like hyper reality. And I was like, it's not me, but I can find directors that direct sci-fi. Um, I, I asked him just send me your script. Let me have a read. And then I can sort of share it with my friends. I read the script and I was like, whoa, this is actually incredibly timely. And I was like, actually, you know what? I could do this. Um, because I mean, I, I wasn't doing anything anyway, to be honest. It was <laughs> like I had offers, you know, I was literally at home. I was still working as an usher as well at a theater, basically back to square one, all right? And even what was funny was going back to my job, they were like, I thought you were gonna go and make it, bro. You know, you were gonna film school. Now you're, you're back selling ice creams, you know? So I wanted to like, you know what? I was okay. I'm, I want to show that I was still making stuff. So this sci-fi film came at the right time, and I told him I can direct it. And it was like it was, and he was so because he really loved my work, and he wanted me to do it anyway. Yeah. So he had the money. Um, he had 14k, and he was gonna pay me 4k out of 14k. And I told him, "Say, bro, put it back in the, into the film. It doesn't make any sense. As much as it pained my soul and my heart and my 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 whole body to say that to him, I thought." We need to invest back into the film. So I didn't get that 4K, unfortunately. <laughs> Even though there were times I'm like, what, what the, what, 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 that money could have, so, it would have helped a lot to make a different film. Anyway, so we made the film and it was really cool making the film. Like directing a piece of work I hadn't written was a sort of a terrifying experience as well because he had written his film over like five years. He'd done the research. Yeah, so it's a film that sort of explores really timely issues and down um, and navigating race and um, sort of like colorism, identity, uh, all of that. But it was fun to direct something I hadn't written, and but also to really trust him and let him trust me and try the process. Um, and then I, I I made a film. I didn't love it. I was like, it's 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 all right. I I, I don't know. It's not. 
I, I, I remember we finished the film, me and my DP, we looked at each other. It's like, yeah, this one is, maybe it's an L, right? It's just, it's because, <laughs> because I, because also the VFX, I wasn't happy with it. It just looked cheap. And I thought, I'm, I've got a master's in, <laughs> in film directing. What is going on? I'm back to making the same old crap. So basically, I didn't love the film, right? And he, was, he told me, I'm going to apply to Sundance. I was like, bro, um, I was like, if you feel. <laughs> I was like, it was your money, then do it. But I told him, I've applied to Sundance with my grad film, with all my films. And these, these guys have never accepted anything I've made, right? So I, I, I wanted to be honest with him. I said, Sundance, they received 10,000, 9,000 films. They pick only 70 shorts, only four films, two, three, actually three films from the UK, short films. So I was telling them, and I felt quite bad saying this to him because I wanted, it was his first ever film, right? And I wanted to, because my heart has been crushed when I'd applied and didn't get in. But, but he was like, I'm going to do it anyway. He applied the final deadline, I think it was. Um, I said, great, cool, right? But I was like, the film was, I was already moving on. I was like, hey, what can I make next for very little money because I didn't have any money. And then he calls me up one day. I was like, it's like, guess what? I was like, what? It's like, I just got a call from Sundowns. I was like, but then I realized that you don't get a call when they reject you. <laughs> you know, um, so I, he was like, yeah, I just got a call and they said we're in. I was like, I had to stop him. I was like, please, this, I'm not, I was about to turn, I think 29 or 28. And I was like, I had not made my first feature. I was not in the mood for games. And I said, stop, please. Like, and, and, it, and it was like, no, I just, I just spoke to them. And they said that we're one of 75 shorts. So I was like, send me the email because you're not making any sense. He sent me the email. I called him back. I was like. Yeah, we're in Sundown. So great. You know, it was pretty it was pretty wild because I I did but I could not understand. honestly, I'm not even I just didn't feel worthy because I just did not love the film. You know, I just felt that it was my worst work. But then I, I sort of saw it again and I, I actually saw that it was a combination of everything I learned in school, right? But also the evolution of my voice as an artist was imbued in this film. And yes, I don't love it. And even till this day, every time I watch it, I'm quietly proud of it but maybe because it's a film that didn't i didn't birth you know it wasn't a wall that i crafted from the idea stage that i didn't love it and i realized that's maybe why i've got mixed feelings about it but also i thought you know yeah it could be much better as well but yeah so i went from feeling sorry about myself and unhappy about the industry and like this is you know to then going to Sundowns for like two weeks and like that was just like life changing so so yeah and off the back of that just just to ask did your life immediately change what happened did you get an agent did you get paid work did people throw money at you did you get the 4k if you guys have five hours we can talk about this because this is our biggest again when I went there I thought there's no way that I can go to Sundowns and come out of it there's like there's no way because I remember when I told my, my peers, they were like, bro, you made it. You, you, yeah. you, you, you know, you're like, you know, everyone was just like, Thompson, you're sorted. My, I told my parents, they didn't really understand it. They didn't, they didn't get it. They were like, yeah, what's a Sundance? This is it. They're like, yeah. it's like, why is it in the snow? What, like, that's, that doesn't make sense. Like, what are you going to do up there? I, I generally, I don't know, maybe this is pride. I thought, wow, this is what it feels like to have made it. So I went there like, okay, I'm just going to maximize my time. I'm going to just make the most out of it. Right. So. The film, you know, because the film explores some strong themes. The Utah audience had some very mixed feelings about the film, and which they expressed to me very boldly as well. Um, 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it was incredible. But I networked like crazy, man. I literally was, you know, I had my cards on me. I was like, I was pitching my think. I met everybody like CAA, UTA, because once they hear you have a film at a festival, they're told because they just see you as though this is just a black guy in a suit. Once you say, "Oh, my show is uh, is playing," like, "Oh, okay, um, you free for me tomorrow? Can we, can we, can we, uh, uh, can, we can we grab coffee at this restaurant which they pay for?" So I just didn't eat any. I didn't pay for my food or drinks for two. Great, because you just get that's a good tactic, actually. Yeah, honestly, because I'm hoping to get into Sundance, but I might have to. I can't afford to be there, so that's a good idea. I think you do it. <laughs> I, your, your film looks mad, by the way. So I'm sure that you will actually get in. Um, and. Oh, we'll see. So I was there with a sci-fi film that people were just, they were raving about, oh, wow, you're, you're exploring a very important issue. You know, people were like, yeah, I very impassioned reactions. Um, it was humbling and overwhelming. You know, I was being called, oh, you're going to be the next this. And, but then they were like, so what have you got next, Thomason? What, what are you cooking up for us? And I'll pitch them, I pitched them a film, a version of appreciation, my short. They were like, hmm, okay, so fate. Right. Okay. Race. Um. Identity. Have you got anything like sort of set in like sort of uh, you know a Black Mirror esque reality? And I was like, um, no. But the writer has other scripts, but they didn't care about the writer. Unfortunately, this guy was it was his first film, and and he didn't actually go because he was really nervous about going out there. Because for him, he just said, "You have to go. I can't." You know, uh, he's a very sort of quiet guy and. But I was there and I was talking about a film that I was semi-proud of, but I could not, yeah, I just didn't have any future ideas. Like I made a lot of great contacts, but it just, it just was, it was heartbreaking because I, I wish someone had told me, basically had advised me because this is what it's so important to have peers in industry, also mentors. And I didn't really have any because whatever I've done is guys, okay, I'm going out there. How can I really use this time wisely? Because I want to leave there with opportunities, but. I, I was getting asked to make and, but maybe I, sh I just feel maybe I should have said yes. Just pitched up, pitched a random idea that I didn't have any. I just make up stuff on the spot, but I didn't. I just said no. I'm making films that are quiet and you know dramas and anyway. Um, came back and was basically back where I. I mean, I had meetings after Sundance, but yeah, there was no kind of incredible change afterwards, which was um, a shame. Mm -hmm. Feel like you you're talking about the right choice, which which is online if people want to watch it if they've not already seen it. But then obviously if you look at the films that you've like penned yourself, I've you know I've just watched your journey mercies as well, and you are very much in your own lane. You you're very much doing you. Yeah. Um. So I kind of understand where you're coming from, and I want to ask you like, how have you developed your voice to sort of like encapsulate your you know your, your, the way you see the world, your musings about the world into your work. Uh, is that something that you've developed along the way because you've done what 11 shots can, can i also add on to that as well because you're talking about the agent thing uh, and the the lack of industry hype and things because your work is extremely specific as well yeah to, to you to you and your background so like when you do get meetings and stuff do they understand the kind of filmmaker you are and and do you think that's kind of counted against you or 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 do you think it's helped you or, or how do you see that yeah i'll, I'll meet with the agents and then I'll pitch them, you know, these very yeah quiet films I wanted to make, and they just didn't, you know, they would maybe some were just trying to maybe push me the other like oh maybe think about writing, in. but I told them I didn't write this script. I I I definitely, you know, I definitely worked a lot on the script. I transformed it because 
the writer is South Asian, so he didn't understand a lot of the nuances around blackness and race. So I imbued my own voice in the script because it took us eight months of just really working on the script to really get it to work because it was a 20-page script that was like a play. Um, mm. So I actually, I said- It's turned into nine minutes for the audience who haven't seen it, yeah. But also, again, I, and as I said, going to film school was that that training, that experience of, okay, this is a, this is a visual art form. How can I encapsulate the themes imbued in, in this script in a way that was very compelling? So I definitely, my, my voice is in a script, but I, the idea, it wasn't even, uh, it wasn't mine, it was his. And, and I kept, and I kept telling these agents that, okay, maybe TV, I can direct TV, that's sci-fi, right? Like, sign me for that because, but as a filmmaker, the, the, uh, you know, uh, as you said, Oz, my work is very specific. And I've always known that I wanted to make that. But the turning point for me, Oz, was when I was in film school. So I was the only black person in my classroom. I think 18 uh, people. My first few films at film school were exercises. As you guys know, you make exercises and stuff. And I was just casting white actors. And I don't know why, because it wasn't like you had to cast white actors. I was either in it or casting white actors. And it was actually my lecturer. He sat me aside and said, because then, you know, he knew that I, was, I wasn't I was born here. He knew that obviously my parents, they inspired me so much. You know, he could tell that I was grappling with who I was as well. He said, you embodied multiple identities. You know, you're, you're, you're a Nigerian British director. Why don't you sort of, look deeper into yourself. The meeting was so incredible because it wasn't even about film. It was just about me. It was like, who is Thomason? Like, why have you come to the school? Why have you, because he knew that I'd used all my savings. Why have you spent that much money to come here? And I went home and I really had to search within myself because I wasn't thinking that deeply. I, was just, I just wanted to make work. It was that. It was the first time I thought, right, okay, who am I as an artist? And that's what led me to make the good song. I say that that's probably the first film I made because it's a film where I see it and I see myself in it. I see myself in the characters. Uh, I see myself in the choices that I use for the language of the camera. Um, I see myself in the tone, you know. I see myself in the mood of the piece. Since making that short film, and obviously eight, nine years afterwards, I, you know, the seed was planted from that chat with my lecturer. But now I write mm. something like, does this align with who I am? Why do I want to tell this story? If, if anyone is trying to work out what film is or if they want to make films, I always just say like, what type of artist do you want to be? And um, you have to understand that. Otherwise, you'll be swayed left and right by people telling you to do this and to do that and to make this. And I think that's um, an important point you made. I had to go through like a similar process and it might be something for people at various stages of their career, but I'm sure people starting out Whenever you used to come up with a story, in my head, the characters were white immediately without thinking about it. And I had to have that think. It was like, why is that? And where is that coming from? And it was only when I started doing that, I started thinking about who I was placing at the center of every story that I'm telling and how it then subverts the narrative that you are trying to tell. Like if you put like an elderly, like an elderly actor in, instead of like someone in their early 20s at your age, who's like a student, like what that does to a narrative. I think it's a, it's a very important lesson to to learn. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that I think I think that point he's making and what you're making is I think that that is something that's probably for most of creators that are of the era that we grew up through, or at least yeah. immersed ourselves in consuming cinema, that we have to kind of like de I don't know if it's the right term, but decolonialize our minds 
and and of of just because I used to like I'd see everyone as white characters immediately white names. Yeah, yeah, and it might be that that's perfect for your story, but mm. if you don't interrogate why, like just because that's your first thought and your first instinct, you don't sit and think why that is. You're not actually really interrogating your story properly. Mm. Um, mm. So it's one of those ones, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you did appreciation, um, which is a wonderful piece of work. It's very emotional, and it was shot by actually some of the, some of the crew that you had on there just come off my film straight onto yours. Yeah, at that oh, moment. no way, uh, no way, Olan. Yeah, yeah. That's Shout awesome. out to all Olan Colody and Anna Baldini Witherow and Ben Stambridge, who was composer. Anna Baldini Withrow was your production designer. She was. And uh, I remember they were saying to me that, oh, we're going on to this next film. I was like, Who, who's this film? Who's this Thomasin guy? What film are you going on to? Oh, after wow. spending time, after spending <laughs> time on mine, because uh, I was that was one of my first shorts then. But it was such a wonderful film. It's a, and I watched it again um, recently when you released it, and then I watched it again in prep for this. And it's such a brilliant film. Like you really have exerted craft throughout it and it's beautifully shot in the production design is, is brilliant how did that come about and why did it, has it taken so long to come online uh, i don't know why and even the choice to even drop it online it wasn't like a subconscious oh i, I need to mm. drop it now i just felt that like it was time and um yeah i don't know i maybe because my other work was online i thought okay let me just let me just keep this and um yeah i'm not quite sure <laughs> i just felt that you know what maybe because also now i think people I find that it can have a, a new life online as well, which which is also quite important. But it's pretty it, timeless, man. Like I watched it back then when it when when it when it had, back a few years ago, whenever it was on LFF or whatever, I watched it, and then you know to see it again when it, you released it and seen it now, it's quite timeless, man. Thank you so much, man. That that really means a lot. It really is. Um, um, but appreciation came as a result of just okay, right? I've made these films, and I was working with the same DOP. So it was actually my friend, Kobe Adam. He was like, Thomas, you need to work with a new DOP. Because my guy was, you know, he. I, I said, this is my guy for life. But Kobe was like, you need somebody that can really push you visually. Um, and he knew that I was prepping appreciation. I, you know, it took about three, four years to write the film. And because the film is, it explores um, grief and loss in the context of um, blackness in South London. You know, just trying to find Find the right angle was really quite tough because, you know, seeing all these films, these incredible films like, you know, um, Bullet Boy and Adulthood, Kidhood, incredible films that explores obviously young black men in that world, you know, their lives are being lost. And, and it was in that vein that I saw this article. Uh, I was on my way to work. Uh, I saw an article and it just had this um, headline, Black Boy Killed. Hmm. His name was not there. Uh, and then there was an, this image of him there and he just it was just very very captivating um and i thought this this guy just looks like he's about to live his life he's got he's on a cusp of great things perhaps and but it was really striking but i thought that he just became like a stat you know because I, I read the article and you know the article was just saying that you know he was in the wrong place at the wrong time so he was killed on his way home from church and he was stabbed in front of his house literally um and his his mom, she saw everything happen as well. So to see your son being killed in that way was heartbreaking. Um, so I thought this is this is this, this article was really really interesting. Let me dig deeper. So I I um I went online and I, I searched it up because it was it was on the news 
everywhere. And I saw an interview with his, with this boy's mother, and it was for an ITV News, and it was in her living room, right? And she was there, and she was definitely in her late 50s, maybe early 60s. And there was something about her expression that I love. There was such a um, incredible strength she has because there were lights, there were lights on her face, right? And then she was being asked all this question, and she just kept saying, "My son didn't do this, you know. My son has got a master's. My like she was, she was having to defend her son on national TV because he, you know everyone just saw a guy that was probably into drugs or doing this and that. Yeah, probably the, deserved it. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you're like actually, yeah, that's oh, his world. It's, yeah. it's it's crazy, and I thought, and then I I I, I dug deeper, and I realized this guy was just basically he was mistaken for somebody else. So they thought he was part of this gang, and he wasn't, and you know he was just wrong place at the wrong time. And I thought that it's it's funny because they see us and they have this idea of us that is obviously like shaped by you know racism, shaped by what black boys do in this country. And I thought that I wanted to make a film that encapsulated this view, but see um, their lives through the lens of this mother figure. And that's where it comes from about thinking about your protagonist, like interrogating the protagonist of your story, because then it opens you up to create a story like this. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the alternative is, is you create something more on the nose about the kid and the event, which people don't need to see that. We've got enough of that. Yeah. And it doesn't help the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, facts. I mean, I see. I'd seen like far too many films that had explored that. Some quite powerfully, some not. But I just felt that it's a worldview that I think has been done to death. I, I want to do something different. But yeah, yeah. As you said there, bro. Like it's exactly that. It's you know, I actually had to think about why I wanted to make it from this boy's point of view, and I couldn't rationalize it. I couldn't. There was nothing that I wrote down or I thought about that just made any sense to me. But because I'm, you know, you think deeply about the world you want to, you know, basically show on screen, and you think, why from this lens? And and I realize that yeah, we just don't see anything from her lens, uh, and she's a more fascinating character because for her, you know, and I I thought what if it's her only son, so it's not like she's got other children. So I thought let me raise the stakes, make it higher. But I thought how can I raise it further? And I thought as somebody who uh, I'm a man of faith. Let me sort of encapsulate themes around faith in there, because then it's not just about this um, powerful woman who's lost her son. What if I make her like a matriarch in a community, but not just in a community, in her church in South London? You know, my mom is a pastor of a church, so it wasn't very hard to sort of like write from that lens, because I mean, my mom is, yeah, you know, as I said, she's the reason I went to, you know, film school and all of that, and she has quietly supported me. Uh, and she inspires me as well. So she, this film was really shaped, shaped by her as well. So that's really what, what made it film. And when I knew that that was what I wanted to make, it was like, okay, how can I tell this story? And it was it was literally Kobe that was like, I just think you need to work with a new DOP because you know your guy's great, but you guys you guys have a shorthand, which is brilliant. But is he going to push you further? Is he going to ask you the right questions? Uh, and then that's and well, what, what, what was quite funny was Willan had. I think on Instagram, DM'd me 2017. It was like, hey man, I've, I've seen your work. I think you'd watched The Good Son. And it was like, I, you know, I really love your work. I really want to work together. And, and, and I kind of, I didn't say I aired him, but I just didn't respond in a timely fashion. 
Um, he's big time now, obviously. But like, you know, then yeah, yeah, yeah. I just He'll be I, airing you. This, yeah. this is it, right? This is it. <laughs> he's he's actually currently sh he's shooting a feature film actually for next week. Yeah. Um, in um, Bristol, he, he did Rye Lane this year as well. For yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is looks beautiful. Well, I, I think the film was online, so my short, so he saw that. Um, but also, I think he came to like a, a bounce event, and he was there. Um, I didn't chat to him, but I know he was there. My film was playing there. Uh, bounce is incredible, by the way. Like. Great guys, mm. yeah, yeah. Incredible platform. That's your Asian, right? Yeah. yeah. He's kind of built it from the ground up. This is it, yeah. right? Yeah, he's, you know, yeah. probably showed all my films, like he's, like over a course of like four or five years at Bound. Mm. So, um, so yeah, so I just, I kind of aired him because I just, you know, cause like I, I went on his site and he'd done some stuff, but then I think he just done some little shorts, and, you know, he'd done some music videos and stuff. But I, I liked his work, but I, I had my guy. You know, when you have somebody you just, Trust and you're like, mm. I'm not, I'm never working with anybody else. And yeah, it was Kobe was like, bro, just reach out to him. Um, and what was funny was my guy that I'd worked with, I'd already said he was going to shoot appreciation. But then I had a chat with Ola and he, I just thought, you know, let me just grab coffee with this guy. Um, we met for coffee and there was something about just his understanding of, like, I think the language of film, but also his aspiration. He was so ambitious. Um, and mm. you could tell that he was just dreaming big because I think he was working at a different job. He had a day job then, Olan. So, you know, film was the dream for him then. You know, he wanted to do it all the time. But he, but he had a full-time job. But it was telling me he wants to make films that he, he cares about. But films about Nigerian characters in the diaspora, exploring important themes. And he was telling me all this then. I was just listening. I was like, wow. And he's also Nigerian as well, right? He was born there. He came here. A bit older than I was, um, but we just started chatting and we just, yeah, it was just a very instant bond. But I, I had my guy that I, yeah, I already said I would work with, so I had to call him and just be very, it was a very hard chat um, because, of course, you know, he thought he was going to shoot it. But, yeah, when you find somebody who you just feel that you're kindred spirits, you just have to sort of go with that. Um, yeah, and, you know, and working on it with him was incredibly wonderful because, he just pushed me further. Like he would ask me the right questions. I think I love DOPs that aren't just yes men or yes women. Just like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, you're the genius, you're the author. Like, great, perfect. Let's no. I want somebody who would, you know, ask me why I wanted to put the camera here or why I want it lit a certain way. But we went back to basics. We just interrogated every scene, every frame, right? But I but I knew exactly how I wanted to shoot it. But he elevated it because I knew that I wanted the film to be incredibly still. I wanted it to feel like we're just seeing images. Every frame, even pause that is just like an image, a portrait. You know, I wasn't going to move the camera as well. I wanted it to be feel incredibly intimate as well. Orlan just knew. He, he just he was just like it was in my brain. He understood exactly how I wanted to do it. I didn't have to hover over him. There was this sort of like sort of intrinsic trust that we had built already, and it was our first film. Um, I just wanted to talk to you about musical score quickly. Um, I was talking about you to Ben Stambridge, who's your composer, and he, you know, he's worked on many of your films, and he's also mine as well. And I was actually talking to him yesterday about you and how you know the presence of songs outside of the musical score he creates. You know, songs have a place in your films, and I wanted to find out why is this and what functions do these songs serve for you? Because it seems to be. Um, a regular recurrence in your work yeah um songs are 
immensely important for me. I think because growing up in Nigeria, I, you, you grow up just encapsulated with all these songs. I think it's once you have a sense of who you are as an artist, you find a way of imbuing like music as a language in your film. And I, it took a long time to learn and understand that. Because I just thought, you know, you just you just put like a song in a film and it's just great. It works. But you have to think about what type of song you want. But also because my films are so anchored around very, very clear themes. I, I find that the songs just really come to me. But also they're songs that I've heard growing up. So I know how to use them. But you don't want to, because it's, again, they're short films. You have to be careful how you use them because it can feel like a musical in some sense as well. Ben is great because I would just tell him, okay, this scene and that scene, I've already got the song for it. You know, and there are times where you, you might want to write like like a score for this scene, but I've just said, no, no, I think this song would work better. But he, he understands and he hears a song and says, yes, you know, you're right. But it's, it's really important and it's such a, it transforms a scene when you find a right songs that really anchors the tone and the mood of that scene. Um, and because my film is about my, my roots and culture. So finding Yoruba songs. And I always say that appreciation writing that film was funny because I sometimes write two songs when I, when I write my films, it wasn't going to be called appreciation. Um, because I, I didn't actually have a title for it. Um, I was writing the film and I, and this song literally came on called appreciation by King Sonny Ade. And it's a song that I, I I recall definitely hearing in my dad's car when I was about eight years old, driving to church. And what's weird, uh, music has this intrinsic life where, you know, when you hear a song you've heard before, you can recall perhaps where you first heard a song. You can recall the impact it had on you. And also this song I heard in like hall parties, I heard in church. And, and when I was writing, I literally stopped. I was like, wait, appreciation. Firstly, the title of the film really sums up the themes of the film, which is it's a this pastor who, despite everything she's gone through, she, she still finds some kind of joy. She still appreciates not just God, but appreciates her family. You know, she's there's hope in that, and it just worked perfectly. And I thought, yeah, this film is called Appreciation, but I knew exactly how to use the song uh, in the film. So. What I found interesting about that was, just from a faith point of view, was that... It, you didn't go down the thing of, you know, like in Dust Till Dawn, where that particular uh, priest has lost his faith because of things that have happened to him. But yeah. you actually went down the opposite aisle where actually it was it was something that was a strength of faith. It made me think about one really clear question, which was how can you love a God that takes everything you love? And that, that's mm. the, that's that, that one question was what was in my mind as, as I was writing the film, because that's what she has to grapple with, you know, um, yeah, and then the song really encapsulates that really well. Cool, man. Um, I think we want to just, uh, before we just ask you about dailies, want to just ask what advice have you got for filmmakers that are coming up or filmmakers that are still, you know, um, that are just plodding along, doing what they're doing, trying to make it happen? I always find just trying to give advice is interesting because, uh, yeah, um, I mean, I feel that I'm not where I'm, I'm meant to be yet, so... And then I'm still learning. No, but you've stayed emotionally yeah. resilient, bro. You've yeah. you've stayed focused. You've you've been persistent. You know you've you you you've been on it like all you know throughout your journey. You know, you know you saved the money to do the to do the thing, and then it's like no, I'm gonna go to another place. And then after that, you had to, and then you went to Sundance. It's like no, I've got a you know you've 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 constantly kept 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 going. 
how are you handling that transition to features and long form work? Like, I'm intrigued to know about, are you interviewing for TV work? Are you getting in the rooms? Like, is, is that ha- happening? Like, is your agent pushing you? Is that even something you want to do? Like, Medium has changed so much in the past uh, 10 years where now it's, it's like an art form where you can actually find directors making really crafted work um, on there. So, I mean, at first, I mean, I, I was, I was interested in it. I think definitely in the past five years, um, I really want to do it. I think trying to get TV work and just obviously doing feature films, it's been a journey, man. It's been past few years has been, I wouldn't say hard. I, I think that when you're making very, very sort of like clear types of films that is very anchored around themes that are, the themes that are very important, but the type of films I want to make. It's always very hard to perhaps get in the rooms to make them uh, and to get the love you need to actually get it out there. You have to understand what your journey is as a filmmaker. What type of director do you want to be? And this is the this is what I had to work out. Because as you guys know, there's no one way into this pathway. There is different paths. You can do TV first or you can do your first feature in it. You know, So I had to really work that out and I'm still working that out, to be honest, because I find that I think for me, everything happens for a reason and for me making my first feature film has been a long journey but i think finally it feels like there's a light now at the end of that tunnel of working in it where hopefully next year i can get it made but i think everything i've experienced in the past few years has got to be ready for him right because doing tv work i would have loved to have done it but then i'm actually maybe glad i didn't get it i i've been up for so many jobs i've been yeah you know you make the final two and the final three you know, you're trying to work out what to say the right things. And yeah, there and there's no right or wrong way, you know, and every circumstance is quite different. What they're searching for is very different. So, yeah, so it's been a lot of ups and downs. Um, and I know that <laughs> everything happens for a reason. So it's just like just keeping going along along the way um, and just knowing like who you are, but also knowing that, okay, if I don't get this job, it doesn't reflect my own talent as a director right there are so many reasons why you didn't get the job right and it's not always about the quality of your work or your craft it's circumstances it's experiences all these things so trust me if you had interviewed me for this thing two years ago i'll probably be mourning and you know, the industry is crap and quick you know yeah. i would have but now maybe especially me yeah, yeah. <laughs> every day <laughs> yeah i'm just at a place now where i'm like you know what actually it's fine because everything i've done has led me to where i am right now and yes i've not directed tv but i want to direct the right tv i just don't want to direct for directing sake because i care about this too much and i think my my wife always jokes that every time i'm making a film i become deeply obsessed she doesn't even recognize me because film for me is not it's a way of life. I, yeah, it's not just a fun thing to do. It's it's not, man. And for me, yeah. the money is important, but it's not about the money. It it transcends that for me. Film is for me. It saved my life. So I see. I respect the art form so much that mm, mm. I just put so much into it that I I care deeply that. And this is why you know my friend was, um, Kobe was saying that you know I don't think you're right for TV because you just bring yourself into the work. You are so committed. Right, um, because for me, I just think about this work has the power to transform lives. It is so potent that you have to deeply care and understand 
what you want to make. But I think what will happen is you'll make your feature and people will see it and it will get all of the hype that is due to come your way and then people will be fighting over to get you on their TV show to direct whatever it is. And that's just the way it seems to be. There's there's a lack of creativity in seeing what people are capable of, I think. I mean, for me, it's like clear. I can see what you're about. I can see that you could do you could direct anything to be honest because you understand the method of cinema like it's it's just very very clear but I don't think that can be recognized by some people I don't know why but and when the hype is attached they'll recognize it and then then you'll have your pick and whatever's for you won't miss you I think it's one of those ones absolutely oh oh, yeah Um, absolutely yeah because actually I realized certain jobs I went up for I'm you know looking back I'm so glad I didn't get it because I wasn't the right fit for it because yeah, yeah, I mean, and yeah, um, some people are directors for hire, some are not. Some, I think everyone has their own journey, and I, I respect everyone that knows who they are. So if you want to direct TV and you want to do do film, you want to do you know um, shorts, like you have to understand what you know that you are on your own journey, and um, and you know being at peace with that as well, uh, and not judge others for the choices they make. I feel I just that's something I've mm-hmm. learned so much because everyone is going through different things. Um, but also everyone has their own, they bring in their own craft in different ways. Yeah. Um, and so I guess within that whole journey of resilience and, and kind of making your way and trying to stay present and all these sorts of things, you've married your, your love of, of cinema with, and curation in creating your own event called dailies. Uh, and we get to see you up on the stage and you can see that you're, you're really in your, your element and your, your love of films comes through and, and you get to sit down and speak to, to filmmakers you admire. Uh, who are kind of in and around you yeah it would be good to know like where that came from why and uh and what it's doing for you and and yeah how you kind of see that the future of dailies as well i don't think i had a plan to just okay i want to curate work that you know isn't my work i, I want to share the work of other people and um it's quite funny because it, it it was a very selfish reason to actually form it because at first the very first event was at my friend's warehouse space in east london and i just made up i made up um, appreciation and I was trying to find a space to show the film, but I also wanted to pair the film with films that had the same sort of like themes and ideas and, and, mm. and style. So it, that was really what it was, like anyone would, right? You know, when, when you make a film, you want to screen other films. Um, so that was what it was. It wasn't like, oh, because I definitely loved watching films, but it wasn't like, oh, I wanted to create this platform where I can bring everyone all together. It wasn't really about that. So w- what I found was in the search for, the films that would play with mine was actually fascinating because I had to find, I had to really watch the films and not just watch it and be like, okay, this is a, this is a really good film. It wasn't enough just to do that. You had to think about, okay, what is this film saying, right? How does the aesthetic of this piece of work work with my film? Because I think it has to be a very healthy marriage where you're showing films that work in the same breath. And that was what I was trying to find. And I think for that first event, I screened about, uh, there was four short films. And the other three films was, finding them was so wonderful because the films, they made mine better. The films, they explored the same themes um, and films were just really brilliant, but it worked as a as one film. So when I wanted to, to create that event, I wanted to create effectively one feature. I was like, I want this to feel like one film where you see, the, see all four films and you're like, yep, yeah, that could have been made by the same person. Although they exist in different ways, although the craft is different. The actual the actual mold is very different, but it's just one film. That went so well. Um, you know, it was sold out. Uh, and I thought, like, this is so cool because 
it began as a selfish sort of ambition, but I just thought I just got so much joy talking about these other shorts. I didn't even care about my, my own short. I was like, these other films, because hearing about the process of the films and but, but because I was a filmmaker, I, I could compare notes. So I, okay, so this was what you went through. Um, so that was the first one. And then that was December 2018. And after that, I thought, you know what? I want to do more of this. I had time as well, to be honest. I had time on my hands. So I was like, great. So I just said, you know what? Let me, you know, and then my friend who had the space was like, you know, he was like, I actually also want to, you know, host like film nights. I was like, okay, yeah, let's, let's do it. So, you know, 2019, we hosted about seven or eight events um, at, the, at the warehouse space. And what he, you know, what, wh how it worked was it was, so he lived there, but he had a large area where there's like chairs and sofas. So we could just basically just Bible together. And, but also he had music, he had created music for each experience as well. It was incredibly intimate. So what I, what, what I did was I was like, right, let me just go and find these films. And it wasn't hard to be honest, finding these films. Like I'm so blessed that I, I know incredibly gifted um writers and 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 um um ones that are just making work that is so important so finding the films was was wasn't hard at all every event was so different because i wanted to curate films that were very broad in their themes or films that explored human issues and that would make you think very deeply as well lockdown happened um so you know i, I couldn't host any more events um mm. uh, and after lockdown so 2020 Two, I just thought um, it was actually my wife. He was just saying that because I she she definitely felt that I had been missing that I'd just been missing because I watch so many films. So I try and watch a feature film a day, and alongside that, I watch a few shorts as well. Um, so, so sorry, we need to just pause a second. You watch a fucking film feature film every day. Well, I I try. Yes, I try. I try. Um, that's that's brilliant. But trust me, man. How do you set aside the time? Do you do it like first thing in the morning or like? No, no, no. But see, I used to, I used to try that, and that just didn't work. Mm. I realized that's that, an Edgar Wright situation. Yeah, but... I realized that. Wait, I, yeah. I I eat all the time, right? But what I could do is, you know, in the evening, I can just eat and watch a film because you you have to eat, right? And I I want to eat slow. Yeah, honestly, and I <laughs> trust me, I eat slow because everyone says I eat I eat so slow because I just I enjoy the food you know you got to savor it right um, yeah, man. but it kind of worked because what would happen is obviously you finish the food halfway through the film but there are times where i'm i'm eating and you know i'm not i'm trying to grab the meat or something i'm just literally i'm not even eating because i'm so impressed by the film it's brilliant mm. so that that was my approach so far i just would watch it whilst i ate in the evening so i would literally watch a film but my thing was i wanted to watch a film firstly that i hadn't seen before secondly a film made before 1995. So that was, that was, so I set myself home with rules. Is it, you know, it's, there are times I would watch films I've seen already, which was, that was fine. But these films were like, okay, a film that I, I hadn't seen before, a film, you know, that was made before 1995. But also sometimes I take films that are only black and white. There are times where films are in, you know, in Italian or films in French, films in Spanish, films in, you know, just different languages. So you have to challenge yourself because, if you don't have that, then you just you can just watch anything. And for me, because of my craft and my line of work, you need to watch films that would not just inspire the work you make, but can you can learn from. And because now you know, I don't watch it and I'm, I'm taking notes, but by the side, no, like it seeps into your subconscious, as you know, right? And there are films that just like are etched in your mind. And in that two three year period where I was watching the film a day, 
honestly, my understanding of the medium just went to a different level because you're, you're forced to watch films you don't even like. And you're like, yeah. well, why don't I like this film? What is it about the, mm, mm. what is it about the format or the, the way it's been paced or the language that isn't working for me? But then there's films that you then watch that you love. You're like, why do I love this film? How, why is it effective? Because at times people say they love films and I ask them why. They can't articulate why. And I find that, especially if you're a filmmaker, I just feel that you should be able to at least, even if it's one line or one word, say why you love the film. But what I found about watching films regularly is you, you form a sense of kind of articulating the reasons why it works. Because then you see that, okay, this film has been made by Bergman in this way, right? The way he holds on the camera, the way he shoots close-ups, you know, the, the way he uses music, you know, and then, you know, Hitchcock, the way he, you know, encapsulates mood for films like Rebecca, for example, which I saw last month, you know, film is set in a house. The house is a character. I see everything, bad, good, because then you can make an, an informed, you know, very objective sort of like point of view and say, I've watched it and it's bad because of these reasons. You know, even with my work, if someone said I don't like it, it's cool. But you saw it, it's just crap. Does your attention not waver though when you're watching something that you're just uh, not connecting with? No, but it actually, it grows, I find, because what happens is I'm forced to interrogate, okay, I'm not enjoying this. This is not working, why? It actually forces mm. me. And then like, is it because, because also what happens is I used to watch these films so I would eat like quite late, which is not good, to be honest, but 10, 30, 11. So I would always end the films at 1 a.m., 1.30 a.m., right? So I would watch it in the, at that time of night, but they're quiet. My phone is not ringing, right? There's no one hassling me, right? Instagram is dead. <laughs> no one is doing anything. And the peace of mind you find is incredible. But the films that have changed my life, I've seen around that, that time period. But, you know, even films I don't love, I just, I still watch it. And then at the end, I'm like, okay, I sleep on it. Then the next morning, I'm like, then I think, okay, did I like that film? Because sometimes you make rash choices. You're like, oh, that's a masterpiece. But is it really though? Are you just moved by the emotional kind of intelligence of it. Are you moved by the way it was shot? You know, how does the film speak to you? Like, what is it, you know, even in five years time, is it as powerful? You know, great films, as you guys know, as you can see it multiple times and you're moved by it. Like, I love Ozu's work and Tokyo Story, I saw it at the BFI last month and I, it's probably the 14th time I've seen the film because I always count how many times, the 14th time I've seen it. And honestly, I discovered scenes that existed but you're seeing it from a new perspective and you're like this is you know encapsulating so much more than i thought you know that that moves you in a different way and that's a masterpiece because it's not a one time two time two it's like a 14th time watch and you're like it's just it's just that so i, I don't get bored you, you you were saying that you're watching films that are like from before 1995 for example that might be something that you're doing and you know you your love of spike lee and there's one film that's quite underrated of his that uh, not not many people speak about it, but I think it's fucking sick. It's Clockers. Oh yeah, and, yeah 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 yeah. And, and to me, that's got like the the DNA of wire in it, mm. the way the wire is shot, just the visual of it. And you know, you're talking about how interesting styles like people should try, try and watch Clockers and just see the way he opens that film. Yeah, it's it's brutal and Crazy. it's harrowing. Yeah yeah, and he was but in, only Spike yeah. Lee would do that. Yeah. Because I think everyone was saying that when he made that film, he was kind of losing, he was, he lost it or he just wasn't making the same type of films he was doing in the late 80s, early 90s. But that's one of his best work, I think. Um, brilliant film. You know, and, but it's the, the boldness of it is what surprises people because it's so unexpected, right? It's, 
Like completely. And it's, opening scene is insane. And it's it's oppressive though. It's so like yeah, it's incredible, man. It's a really good song. Um but it see that practice is good because I just find obviously, you know, they they I don't always watch, you know, and there are films I see past that that year, but um because for me they're films I wouldn't gravitate towards normally. Like we want to see you know, newer films, which makes sense. Like you're seeing a film and you're like the acting is, you know, very stifling or cold or hard like you know, films by mm. Bergman, is what you know, it took me a while to really understand the power of his work because the actors don't act like normal acting. It's so it's it subverts normal film acting, right? He's actually making the, his actors they're encapsulated in his world where you're going against what you normally are taught in drama schools because you're acting against it's unnatural but that's what makes it natural because there's a sort of it's so fluid and incredibly emotional as well like, it's strange but it took me a while i had to keep, you know i had to just keep watching his films to really understand that you know? mm. it, but everyone's different and everyone's different well, i think that's mind. a lovely lovely way to round out i think it's a very important thing is to watch as much as you can and definitely if you're in the area uh, you should look out for the new Dailies events that 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 will be coming out because it's always like a good evening. There's there's lots of good shorts that I see there from lots of exciting young filmmakers. So um, yeah, thank you for platforming them. No, thank you, man. Thank you. And I mean, we have some exciting events coming up as well. Like we got yeah, we're showing some films this year and then next year as well. So um, yeah, and and now we've because we, at first it was short films, but um, we're now showing feature films. We showed. Charlotte yeah. Reagan's debut film. Um, yes, yeah. I was there. You were, you were there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Came to that. The you were at the stake. You guys, you guys, yeah. your parents. I was like, I saw you guys. I was like, yes. You know, this is validation, validation from from these guys. No, honestly, because I, I was like, these guys haven't come to my event. What's going on? You know, I was, I was. I've actually been to two or three before. Yeah, we've been a few but, of yours, yeah, yeah. man. We went to your went to your first no, one. But, like, but, you no, 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 no. But you were not director stake then. Now you're director stake now. So it's different. It's different. <laughs> nobody's then. No, 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 yeah, no, no, yeah. no. But you know what? Now I think I came to speak to you. Didn't know what it was. Yeah. <laughs> oh really? Oh, sorry, man. Sorry. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, you ignored me. You oh really? <laughs> you know what? Yeah. I'd, I'd actually heard about you, bro. I actually heard about you. But yeah, but no, yeah. Thank you so much for coming down in the end. Always supporting. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think we'll move on to our, our final section. I hope you've got a nugget of the week, but we we do the section called Nugget of the Week where we throw out what has inspired us this week. So we'd like to ask you, Thomason, what has inspired you this week? It's something that always inspires me. It's actually a quote um, by... Ingmar Bergman and um, it's, it's funny because what, when, when I knew that this was coming I, I've been watching a lot of his films these past two weeks and there's a quote that is very well known with him that I just I always come back to every time I'm feeling sort of yeah a bit down or you know as you know you question how we do all the time why you know is, yep. it, is this the right um, yeah yeah even with, with my new film you're like oh what that what is this um, yeah, so, but this quote is really powerful. And the quote is, um, it's, it's, it's online as well. It says, film as dream, film as music. No art passes our conscience in the way film does and goes directly to our feelings deep down into the dark rooms of our soul. And I'll, I'll just, I'll just say it again. Cause I just, yeah, really like the words speak to me so much. Um, film as dream. Film as music. No art passes our conscience in a way film does 
and it goes directly to our feelings deep down into the dark rooms of our soul. And in that call, yeah, there's beautiful. a part, dark rooms of our soul. I realized that of how I came into film, I was in a space that was ultimately dark. You know, I was kind of just really broken because I was just didn't have a lot of friends and isolated and, um, and film as music, film as dream. Like I could dream true film. It gave me a license to sort of lose myself in the dream that is this, this art form, right? It's a, and there's nothing else that can have the same impact. I feel they're probably obviously, you know, music is powerful, but you know, film and, and it just encapsulates all of that so beautifully. And, um, that chord always speaks to me because it, it reminds me that film has such incredible impact and, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, really powerful. I think it's a special, special art form. Yeah. And, and what's yours, Oz? Follow that. Um, mine is. Is is a is a um a Twitter account by a, a director called Diamud Goggins, but his actual Twitter handle is Tracks, as in like music tracks, T R A C K S Tracks Goggins, and he's a director who has directed Bulletproof, he's directed Silent Witnesses, and loads of other stuff as well. And what he's been doing is he's been sort of like breaking down the scenes and things that he's been doing. Um, for education like he'll put a script up there then he'll talk he'll talk through how he shot it and then he'll show the final scene and he'll also show his sort of like previews that he might have done on his iphone or whatever and it's really really educational so if people want to get um a look at um you know how people prep their scenes uh, in tv and how they go about shooting them then you need to go onto his twitter uh, account we'll have a link to his twitter account in in here and his name is dear mud goggins i actually reached out to him to make sure i was saying that right so yeah. yeah amazing thank you for sharing bro mine's obviously a youtube video uh it's course <laughs> it's scorsese season because uh killers of the flower moon is out tomorrow at the time of recording anyway and uh yeah so there was a conversation between timothee chalamet and martin scorsese they have a an epic conversation on gq it's just 30 minutes of them and you can you can tell timothee is just fangirling or fanboying just from being in a room with him and it like obviously Timothée is one of the the hottest young actors in the world and he's still completely in awe of the genius that's sat in front of him and I think he's basically just trying to <laughs> hold his nerve and uh, squeeze his words out still which is I think would be all of us in that situation so um, yeah there's lots of good stuff in there um, you can sit and listen to Scorsese all the time and if you want listen to the whole conversation which he did at the BFI which is an hour and a half on uh, as part of London Film Festival so yeah we'll put that in the show notes um, and definitely look out for that brilliant so that's it um, Thomas where can we find you online uh, uh, everywhere I'm, I'm literally available <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> available every, everywhere um, yeah my on Instagram it's at Thomas and and on Twitter is at T-A- D E P E J Dailies. It's um um at Dailies Film. Uh, so at so we're also on here on every platform as well. So and yeah, we have as I said some exciting events in the work. So um and we are actually also going to be expanding um Dailies. We because we, we we're of course yeah. showing showing films now, but we want to really be part of the process of the making of films and really sort of inspire aspiring artists, you know, aspiring writers directors actors to make work so yeah next 2024 is going to be an, an exciting year for us because 
we want to just like yeah hopefully it's just transcendental in films because it's very imperative mm. and very important but well like it's great to watch but what if you want to make and how can you make you know what are the, the tools that you need even um yeah all of that next year exciting man yeah man. very very cool yeah okay. looking forward to hearing more about that so that concludes the episode next week i'm sure we're going to be joined by another exciting guest as always so follow socials to find out who we'll be having on and if anyone does happen to be listening get your questions in at the directors take at outlook.com and we want you to tell us what you want to know about directing or the film industry at large and we'll do our best to tell you we want to ship this as a resource for you so get your questions in and reach out to us on instagram which is the directors take podcast and also on Twitter, which is at Directors Take. And leave us a review as well on whichever platform you get your podcasts, because it really does yeah. help us. Please share away as well. We need all the shares, follows, all the hype we can get, because we're a brand new podcast and we need to grow. So I think that's it. So until next time. Keep learning, keep failing, and keep the faith.